worship this morning was incredible. I thought, uh, I think Chris is actually getting better. Every, every hand, he and Josh just tear it up. I was back in the, in the study worshiping, and I thought it was Eddie Van Halen doing all those licks on the, on the act, just making it happen. What a, it's got to be fun. You know, Chris is over 40 now, but it's got to be fun to be over 40 and be able to play rock music in church. That's got to be a, that's got to be a plus. And and Josh over there on the keyboard, you never know, you never know what God is up to. Uh, several years ago, I'm 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 not even going to guess, maybe 20. Uh, there were several youth pastors that came together and wanted to have a regional uh, opportunity for kids from all over the state. I think it was three states, the first one. The kids would come and uh, they would worship and they would hear the word and they would be involved in that. The very first one, look at somebody and say, the very first one. I was honored to be the keynote speaker, the very first one. And there were probably 12 to 1,500 kids there. It was such a success as far as they felt leadership, youth leadership felt, that they continued it every year. Today it's grown from 1,200 to 35,000 kids today are meeting in Sevierville, Tennessee. And two of your very own, Christine and Bailey, are a part of the of the 40 remnant. I think there were eight that were chosen, something like that. So out of that, out of the remnant, uh, Christine and Bailey are representing Church of the Harvest this morning, and ministering to about 30,000 kids. How cool is that? How cool is that? And uh, we miss them when they're not here, but when they're not here, they're ministering somewhere. That's just the way. They roll, and, and we're pleased with what God is doing and saying. Trevor turned 17, the big 17. Trevor turned 17. Trevor is a young man that is not afraid to work, a hard worker, loves the Lord, loves God, and loves Pastor Hank. And I thought, Susan, if you would lead us in happy birthday to Trevor, you take off and we'll jump right there with it. Trevor, wave your hands. Everybody know who you are. Trevor is part of this house. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Trevor. Happy birthday to you. Go ahead, give give Trevor a ham. He's now going to stand and quote the uh, Gettysburg Address in its entirety from the old English and uh, Happy birthday. It's a joy to have you in the house of God. Always a joy to have Brother Stowers with us. Believe in God for complete restoration and here and healing and a miracle. The doctors say one thing, the word says another. Whose report will you believe? I choose to believe the report of the Lord. And we're walking in agreement with that healing and uh, that 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 touch of God in his body. If you brought a Bible with you this morning, Acts the twenty seventh chapter. And probably throughout the years, one of the uh, uh, most favorite stories that, that I, I see in the Bible. I, I love this story. I love God showing up and showing out, showing off. And uh, in, this, in this season this morning, I believe that for just a few minutes, we're going to learn when and how and where to tinker, 
T-I-N-K-E-R. That might be a new word to you. Uh, I've read this passage of Scripture. I've shared from this passage of Scripture. Uh, this is actually the very last journey of the Apostle Paul. After he completes this journey and ministers in this city, he will later go and he will be arrested. And then through a process of events, he will be executed. Uh, the uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs declares that when the Apostle Paul was assassinated for the gospel, that when they put his head on the guillotine and they went to remove his head from his body, he opened his mouth and began to sing in a heavenly language, and they claim that when the head was severed from the body, his mouth was still moving. And uh, that's a story you rarely hear about. The Apostle Paul gave his life for the kingdom, wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament, was actually left for dead three times, was left for dead. One time was caught up into heaven and saw heaven uh, didn't comment a lot on that except to say, eye is not seen and ears not heard, neither entered into the imagination of the heart of man the things that God has created for them. Paul left the heaven story up to John. But Paul shared so many truths and so many great revelations. I'm re reflective this morning on a story that I often share of a man by the name of Henry Ford. I was in Southern California as a teenager. I used to mow the lawn for a widow whose husband actually designed and manufactured the first set of headlights and taillights for Henry Ford's a car. I actually, worked, I actually worked for his wife. Uh, he had died and she was a widow and uh, would hear the stories of her share of her husband, how the process went from one car a day to a hundred cars a day to a thousand cars a day. And the way that Henry Ford created the assembly line, he brought in an engineer. And this engineer designed this elaborate method of building several cars at one time. It's called the assembly line. And as Henry went from one car a day to 10 cars a day to 100 cars a day, all in one day, everything messed up, shut, shut down, nothing would work. So they contacted this engineer. He came. And after just a few minutes of tinkering around with the equipment, he got it back to running again, got it back up to production. A few weeks later, Henry Ford gets a bill in the mail from this engineer for $10,000. And so Henry chuckled, thought the amount was a little high, and he let the man know, said, don't you think that 10000 is a little high for tinkering around for a few minutes? And, and the, the uh, engineer responded, and sent another bill. And the bill was $10 for tinkering, $9,990 for knowing where to tinker, for knowing where to tinker. I have read this passage of Scripture. I've preached this passage of Scripture, but this week something uh, just jumped out from the pages, and the Word of God is alive and powerful and able to do that. There are times when you'll read something and you've read it several times, and all of a sudden there will be a, a new light or a new thought. Uh, last week, I shared with you the fact of when God allowed the sun and moon to stand still, the Bible says never before and never after has there been a day quite like that. And when you look at some of the great days of history, when you look at the day of creation or the day of the Lord's birth or the day of his ministry or his death or his resurrection, even of his coming, the Bible says there never was a day like that or day after and what I have learned is that God will do whatever it takes 
to bring to you the miracle and healing that you need in your heart, your life, your ministry, and your body. Aren't you thankful of that this morning? If he would stop the sun and moon, allow Joshua to win a battle, what will he do for you today? And that was our thought last week as we looked at it. But this morning I would like to read just a few uh, scriptures and we're going to focus on the area of knowing when to speak and knowing when not to speak. James says that our mouth is such a little thing, it's like a little rotor on a, on a ship, a big ship, a little rotor that, that has the ability to, to send that boat in the direction that it wants it to go. And we're told that our, our tongue is just a little thing, but how much damage it can do. Hello. Can anybody relate to the mouth getting out of order and speaking out of order and bad things happening? If you will, verse 9. Chapter 27, I can actually see it. Now, when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was already passed, Paul admonished them. And he said to them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the landing and the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the Sherem believed the master and the owner of the ship more than these things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not common, how say that word? Commodosius? That's a new one. Accommodations, I believe, is what they're trying to say. Look at some say accommodations. Say that fast three times. To winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they may obtain in Phoenicia and there to winter, which is the haven of Crete, and lie north towards the south and northwest. Just a little note here. The sailors of the ship did not want to stay in the port that they were in because the port they wanted to go to had wine, women, and song. They didn't want to spend the winter in this port because it didn't have those things. So motivated by wine, women, and song, they decided to sail, even though the weather was bad, even though there was a divine warning from the man of God, they sailed anyway. In verse 13, and when the south wind blew, softly supposing they'd obtained their purpose, loosing thence they sailed close by Crete. But not long after there arose against it a, a contemporous wind, contemporous wind called Eurocalus, and when the ship was caught and made not bear up the wind, we let her drive. They let it go. And running under a certain island, which is called Claudia, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps, undergirding the ship, they fearing that they should fail into the quicksand, strike sail, and so were driven. So pretty much the storm is out of order, the boat's out of order, and we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest the next day, they lighten the ship. They begin to throw stuff off the ship to lighten it, to ride better in the storm. And with the third ray, we cast with our own hands the tacking of the ship. So all the cargo, Paul prophesied that there would be damage to the cargo, and now we see all the cargo going into the water. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest laid upon us, all hope. Look at somebody and say, all hope that we should be saved, was then taken away. But after long 
abstinence. And that's the uh, focus that I want to have this morning. After long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me, and we should have not loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there will be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of the Lord, whose I am, say I am, and I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and to God hath given thee all that are in sale with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. Look at somebody and say, I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Behold, we must cast upon a certain island. It's a pretty cool story. Uh, I, two or three times in our fishing experience, we have found ourselves when the wind began to blow and the waves begin to raise and, and uh, I don't know if you've ever been in the ocean when the waves were eight or ten foot and the waves were washing over the boat and you marvel also just marvel how that boat floats in the ocean it is amazing according to Proverbs 30 that the way of a ship in the sea was an amazing sight to behold but these guys are in a storm uh, these guys are in a place where uh, they were headed to a particular destination they they left against counsel. Ever felt like that? Ever felt like there have been times in your life when people try to speak in your life things or truths and then you did what you wanted to do and found yourself in a bad situation? Well, we've learned there's no place that we can get that God cannot deliver us from. Pastor Ronda mentioned, I believe, Wednesday night, whether we make our bed in hell, we find a cave in the mountain, wherever we are, God can come to where we are and provide what we need for the journey that we face. Do I have an amen in the building? There is a couple of truths here that I want to bring to your attention. The storm was so bad. Look at somebody said the storm was so bad that all hope that we should be saved was lost. You ever been there? You ever felt abandoned? You ever felt like you're at the end of your rope? And I know the optimist would say, tie a knot at the end of your rope and hang on. A pessimist would say, tie the rope around your neck and hang. Which would you rather be, the one that ties the knot and the rope or the one that hangs? Well, it's kind of quiet in this place. Let me rephrase that. Would you rather be the one that holds on or the one that gives up? And so, Pastor Ronna, they've come to a place in this, in this journey that the sun had not shined in many days. We don't know how many days. It could have been three. It could have been ten. We're not exactly sure, but we know for a long time the sun had not shined, and all hope that we would be saved was lost. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. With the lack of hope, if there's no faith, if there's no hope in your life, you're destined to fail. You probably are not going to survive the storm that you're in, but you'll succumb to the storm because you think that's the only way this chapter is going to play out but aren't you glad that God is writing facts about your life God is writing your story and God in your story puts hope and puts faith and puts love that you are not alone in this journey I met so many people in my life I got a phone call uh, Wednesday or Thursday of a, a young man that Pastor Ron and I grew up with of course he's not a young man anymore he's a grandfather but his daughter's husband was going through some real bad times his 
uh, dad is a heroin addict, and his mom died of, uh, of an overdose, and he married a young lady, and they had a, had a child, and the, the marriage is not going the way that they wanted it to go, and the, the son went to, or the young man went to stay with his grandmother, and something happened with a firearm, and uh, the police were called, and he was arrested, and he has no mom, he has no dad, he and his wife are going through probably now what looks to be uh, divorce, and he's thrown into jail, and uh, the father-in-law called me and said, would you, would you help? Uh, we attended a very large church in the Seattle, Washington area, and we've called the church several times and want the pastor to call and go see uh, our son-in-law because he has told uh, the officer that arrested him that he was going to commit suicide, that he was going to take his life. He had no reason to live. His mom and dad were dead. Uh, his wife had uh, left him. And his grandmother called the police on him, whatever that scenario was. So I began a pilgrimage, and I began to try to call this church uh, in Seattle. And unfortunately, uh, the three messages that I left, I was not called back. And so I made my own uh, decision. I called. I went through the directory and found a church of God there in Seattle and called two church of gods and still have not got any answer back. And, uh, but Monday I will. Monday I'll find, I'll find a pastor that will go to jail and visit this young man. But if, if you were to go with me and just put yourself in the young man's shoes just for a moment, his parents are dead. He and his wife are going through divorce. His grandmother, his, his last friend, his last family, has called the police on him, and he's been there several days, and he has uh, not had his medication to balance things out. I would say that he's probably at a place where all hope is lost. And a lot of people, when they lose hope, their only solution to losing hope is taking their life or doing something very stupid. And Paul said, I'm at a place right now in my journey where all hope that we would be saved was lost. But then he makes a statement after long absence. The, the word absence means to reject or, or not to participate in something after a long abstinence, and again, we can guess how many days, three days, ten days, however long, but Paul didn't speak. He didn't, he didn't share. He's already said what God told him to say. He spoke it. It's come to pass. And in a season of prayer, obviously, and waiting and watching for the Lord, God shows up. The angel of the Lord, I believe it was the Lord, but the angel of the Lord shows up and tells Paul that not one single life would be lost, and he gives us three truths. And those three truths I would like to apply to us today. And those three truths are, are these. First of all, Paul said, the angel of the Lord, the God of whose I am. I belong to God. Look at somebody say, I belong to God. I'm my beloved and he is mine and his banner over me is love. And because we are part of the family of God and because we're a part of what God has brought together, we know this morning, as long as there is breath in our lungs, there is still hope because we belong to the Lord. When I think about that possession, I think about the fact that I belong to God and he belongs to me. I'm reminded of the covenant. And the covenant, when you went into marriage with your spouse, all of her strengths became your strengths. All of her weaknesses became your weaknesses. All of her assets became your assets. All of her debt became your debt. Can anybody relate this morning? 
when you strike a deal or when you sign that piece of paper that you say for the next 30 years, I'll pay X amount a month so that I can live in this house that is a covenant that you enter into. When you purchase a car and you go through the loan company and you say every month I'll pay this certain amount of money for how many years and this car will be mine, that's what you call covenant. When you enter into holy matrimony and you enter into that covenant, it's the same thing as when you enter into covenant with God. Think about that just for a minute. When you realize that all that you have belongs to God, that sounds pretty missionary. I mean, it sounds kind of kind of, maybe just a tiny bit sympathetic, pathetic. Say it with me. All I have belongs to God. Now say it like a lot of people say it. All I have belongs to God. But the flip on that is all God has belongs to you. Now, when you think about that, Psalm says he owns the thousand hills, the gold beneath the blue sky and every cow on it. Everything that is in, in existence today belongs to God. And the word says, if it belongs to God, it belongs to me. Aren't you glad this morning that you've entered in covenant that you're going to get something out of it? And I, I think about when I think about Pastor Ron and I, when we got married, uh, she didn't really have any debt, but she didn't have a whole lot of assets. She had a little Volkswagen. I'm not sure what year it was, but we couldn't even get it started. We couldn't even get it running. And I think we finally sold it. Somebody came and hauled it off on a tow truck. I don't know if you remember that. But when she entered into the covenant, all she brought into the covenant was her clothes, her makeup, her jewelry, and her attitude, which were all good. Which were all good. When I came into the covenant, I brought a house, a car, furniture, stuff, toys, money, all of that. So I would say at that particular time in her life, she got the better deal. And aren't you glad this morning when you enter into covenant with God, you get the better deal. You get to turn all of your junk and give it all to God, and he'll take it and remove it. He'll take your mistakes and your sins and your shortcomings and remove them. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, Astronomers still cannot determine what is the length of that east from the west. It seems like it goes on and on and on. But the promises of God are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And this morning, if you're not operating in all the blessings and favor and all the things that God has for you, then you need to take another step closer to God and get involved with what God has for you. He didn't bring you here to abandon you. He didn't teach you to swim to let you drown. He put hope in you. He put destiny in you. And he put purpose in you. Why? Because you belong to him. The second thing that Paul says, not only is he mine, but he is a God that I serve. He's a God that I serve. There are a lot of people that when they come to the altar, they want God to dust them off. Let me rephrase that. Every night, this little boy, six, seven years of age, when he got ready to head to bed, his mom would take a wash rag, and she would wash his face and neck, and, I mean, she would scrub him down. He hated it. He didn't like it, and every night he tried to get out of it. One night, she came into the room with the proverbial wash rag, and she's getting ready to wash his neck and his face and his ears, and he looked at her and said, Mom, tonight, couldn't you just dust me off? And I think a lot of times we come to the altar, and we just want God to dust us off. I don't know if you've ever been overwhelmed by a scenario where you've lost all hope, you've lost all faith, you've lost all trust, and you gave it to God, 
and all of a sudden when you gave it to God, something changed, hope was restored. All of a sudden you realize, I can probably do this. I can probably walk this out. But if you don't make a decision in your life to furnish your house with the things of God, the Bible says that Christ lives in you, the hope of glory. If you just come to the altar and get dusted off and you don't continue your relationship any farther with the Lord, the enemy will come back and try to bite you in the place you know where he tries to bite you. Do I have anybody that can relate this morning? When you make a commitment to God, it is all or nothing. I have never been, well, I have been in the cockpit, but I've never heard them say the words. I am told that when the L-1011 or the 747 gets on the runway and it starts building up speed and it gets to a certain speed, I'm probably 80 to 100 miles an hour, that, that pilot will make a comment and he'll, he will say, I'm committed. Chris, you probably know more about that than I do. But what the pilot is saying is, we're too far along the journey to abort. We have to put this plane in the air. And when you make a decision that you're committed to Christ, you're saying, I'm too close to heaven to turn around. I'm too close to the blessings and favor of God to settle for the things that life tries to offer me. I am committed. I made a decision. I don't just belong to him, but I'm going to serve him. Now, the old church, let me rephrase that, the old Pentecostal fellowship years and years ago used to acquaint righteousness with a dress code. And their attitude was if your sleeves go down to your, your wrists and your, your hems go down to your ankles and your hair goes down to your, that place right down there, if your hair goes that long and you don't have any makeup or any jewelry or you don't go to the movies, you don't shoot pool, Am I talking to anybody in the building? Can the Kentucky people relate? And we were judged by our appearance. We were judged by how we dress, what, what we wore, what we didn't wear. But aren't you glad this morning that man looks on the outward, but God looks on the inward, that God does not judge us by how we wear our hair or how long our hem is, but God judges us by our heart and the attitude of the heart. And the Bible says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when you hang around people very long, it doesn't take very long before you realize what's in their heart. Is in their heart to serve God, to do the things that God, God's Word says? Or is in their heart to play Nintendo? Or is in their heart to drive race cars? Or is it in their heart to catch a bass? It doesn't take very long for a guy to be around another guy to determine what's that, what is that guy's goals, what's his motivation. And girls, I'm sure it's the same with you. You're, you're around somebody, it doesn't take very long before whatever in their heart, they begin to speak. But not only do you belong to him, but as you enter into the family of God, he gives us his word to live by. And we live not in judgment, but we live in grace. That God gives us something that we don't deserve. Aren't you glad for grace? We don't deserve it, but he does it. And then God operates in mercy. How many knows the difference? Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting something you do deserve. Because of his mercy, he doesn't judge us or condemn us or our, over our mistakes and failures, but he lets us start over again and again and again. Actually, not starting over, but starting again. Aren't you glad this morning for the favor of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God that says, don't look for me to be in the place I used to be. Aren't you glad this morning you don't look like you did when you were in the world? Aren't you glad this morning you don't act like you did when you were in the world? Aren't you glad this morning that you have purpose and hope and destiny 
and God is for you. And we say it about every week, if God be for us, then who can be against us? Nothing, the Bible says, nothing height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God except us. We are the only ones that can close that door. We're the only ones that can walk. We're the ones that we can choose. I choose not to serve God. I choose not to be a part of, of God's plan, God's purpose. And then we're on our own. And uh, the song says, without him, we would be like a ship without a sail. Aren't you glad this morning that there's wind in yourselves and you're committed to him? The third thing the Apostle Paul says here is, it is not only do I belong to God, not only do I serve God, but I believe God. And Paul may have been speaking on experience because every time Paul had spoke something that the Lord had said, it came to pass before this journey began, Paul heard from God and said, guys, this is a journey that we don't need to take right now. There's going to be loss of life. There's going to be loss of, of, of goods, going to be loss of the ship. But they went anyway. They ignored the counsel of God. And there are times in our life when we will ignore the counsel of God no matter how long you've been serving him or how less you've been serving him, we come to a place in our life where we want to do what we want to do. Why? Because from the cradle to the coffin, all of life is about us. And Burger King says it better than anybody else. Have it your way. And if we don't get it our way, we sue, we scream, we cry, we pout, we, hello, we, we're going to do whatever it takes to get it our way. This morning, you, you had it your way. You wore what you, you want to wear. You set where you wanted to set. It's your way. And should you come late next Sunday and someone's sitting in your chair, how dare them sit in your spot that's been your spot ever since 1972? After the Vietnam War, it was your spot. You leave your Bible there every Sunday to make sure people know you never read your Bible all week long. You just put your Bible in the chair to save your pew. Well, we put reserved places out. It, of course, it's a meaning thing. People come and sit wherever they want. But do I, anybody this morning kind of relating with where I'm, where I'm going this morning, I don't just, I'm not just a part of the family. I don't just serve him, but I believe him. We shared two weeks ago, Mark eleven twenty two, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And if you're in a place you feel like my marriage is crashing and burning, my job situation is a joke, my health is failing, those are all men input ideas. But God said, whatever you need, you come to me, and I will meet your need, and I will take care of you, and I will take care of the things in your life that are important to you. Anybody in the place belong to God. Anybody in the, in the place serve him. And does anybody believe him? Because if you believe him, then things have been spoken over you that are going to come to pass. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that there's a time to speak and there's a time to be silent. And this morning as we looked at the scripture and it says that in this storm, in this journey, Paul came to a place in his life where he didn't say anything. And, and again, we're not sure how long. But he stopped talking, and he started praying. How's that? That helped me. He stopped talking. He started praying. You know, you can talk about your problems. You're blue in the face. You can talk about your problem to other people. You can read books about your problem. But it's still your problem until you make up your mind to give it to somebody that has no hidden agenda, that loves you, cares about you, and wants to take care of your problem. Until you do that, then you're just frustrated. And so I want to share some truths this morning from the Word of God 
on when to speak and when not to speak. He spoke before the journey, and at the journey was coming into a place where it looked like total destruction, total annihilation, Sheriff. But then he speaks again, and he begins to declare the word of the Lord. So if you're taking notes, I'm not going to take time to read these scripture. You'll have to trust me and take my word for it that they really are in the Bible, that uh, you can look them up later. Knowing when to remain silent, Psalms 46 and 10, be still and know that I am God. So as we look at what the Word of God says, are you ready? When to remain silent, Proverbs 14 and 17 says, you need to remain silent when in the heat of anger, in the heat. Have you ever got so mad you just told somebody off? Nobody but me and Brother Stowers. Have you ever been to a place in your life that you that you literally you you, you literally shook with anger? Anybody? I remember as a as a young man growing up, um, I got in a lot of fights, and uh, it just I had a mouth on me, and it it cost me. And you either back up your mouth or you know you don't say anything. And I remember in all of the physical altercations that I was in. The only time I really ever got, and I got hit, but the only time I really got hurt, one time I was so angry at this guy because he was running from me, and he was faster than me, and I couldn't catch him, and I was going to beat the living daylights out of him. That was my plan. That was my goal, and I felt like I could do it, but he kept darting around and bouncing around and kind of running around the, the I think I was a junior in high school, kept running around the table. And I got so mad, I got so angry that I gripped my teeth so bad it chipped a tooth. It, and I was so, Pastor Ron, I wanted, I wanted just, I just wanted to beat him up. I just wanted to, but I was angry. And the Bible says that when you're angry, don't open your mouth. This is not a good time to look at your husband or wife or spouse. But I'll say it again to make sure they hear it. He or she's hearing it. When you're angry, when you're mad. Don't say anything, just be quiet. Hello. The second time to be silent is when it's time to listen. Oh, no, that'll hunt. That'll hunt. Did you ever, uh, Chris, you ever wonder why God gave us two ears and only one mouth? Is there a possibility that he wanted us to listen twice as much as we speak? But when you are at a place where you need to listen, just shut up. There are two ways to say that. I can say it, kayate la boca, which means what? Or I can say, kayate la boca, which means what? Please be quiet. I can say, shut your mouth, or please be quiet. But either way, apply it. It will work. That's in Proverbs 13 and 1. In Proverbs 14 and 10, it says, be silent. Are you ready for this? If the issue is none of your business, am I preaching good now? Be quiet if it's none of your business. Keep your mouth shut. The, uh, the next one, Proverbs 16 and 28, be silent if your words will damage a friendship. Damage a friendship. Have you ever thrown a friend under the bus? You ever got so mad at somebody in your, in, your, in your life that you like, you said things that later on you realize it hurt them? Be quiet if what you say is going to hurt a friendship. Proverbs 18 and 21, be silent if you may have to eat your words later. I always hate that. I always hate running my mouth 
and then realizing I was completely wrong and had to go back. And, and nine times out of ten, we talk ourselves out of going back because we say, well, they knew we didn't mean it. Hello. But be quiet if it's none of your business. Be quiet if it's going to damage your friendship. Be quiet if you're going to have to eat your words later. Here's one in Proverbs 14 and 23. Be quiet when you're supposed to be working instead. Oh, that's an interesting thought. You're at the workplace, supposed to be working, and there you are by the water cooler running your mouth. I don't know why they say water cooler. All the jobs I ever had, there was never a water cooler, but I guess in the blue-collar industry, there's a place you go and drink and stand around and talk bad about one another. Here's one it says in 1 Corinthians 8 and 11, be quiet when your words will offend another person. Be quiet when your words will offend another person. Well, how powerful is that? In Proverbs 8 and 8, it says, be, be quiet if you would be ashamed of your words later. Ashamed of your words later. I know there's been a couple of times, just very few, in 33 years of marriage that Pastor Ron and I have got upset at one another, and we've shared things that we shouldn't have shared, said things we shouldn't have said, and then later on we feel bad about it. Anybody ever been in that place in your life? Well, have you been in this place in your life where, where you and your wife got in a big old fight, so she went and got her suitcase, and she's headed out the door with the suitcase, and you felt so stupid over the things you said. You got down on your hands and your knees, and you groveled like a beggar, and you pled the fifth, and you promised all these things, only to find out that her suitcase was empty. There was nothing in her suitcase. She had no intentions of leaving hello, but she used it, and it worked. Chris, sometimes it works. Sometimes get that suitcase out, act like you're headed towards the door, and you'd be surprised that you, your spouse will learn they don't have, and I say spouse, but fellow worker, you don't realize what you've got till it's gone. Hello, that's all I have to say. Here's one that says, be, be quiet. In Proverbs 16 and 27, be quiet when your words will damage another's reputation. In life, you will meet people, and those people will do stupid things. And then they will turn their life around, and they'll try to do the right thing. But when you're talking about that person, instead of talking about the things that they're doing now, we always remind one another of where they dropped the ball and how they dropped the ball. And there's a lot of times when things have been spoken and people are trying to get a new start. They're trying to get ahead. They're trying to wipe the slate clean. They've asked God for forgiveness. and They're trying to do the right thing. That there are people in their life that know their past. And instead of strengthening them and encouraging them, they begin to tell one another about their past failures. And all that does is a damage. The damage. Be quiet here in Proverbs 11:21. Be be quiet when your words will be a poor reflection, a poor reflection. And uh, I guess there was a season several years ago when I took the kids to Florida, and we went into McDonald's, and I ordered an ice cream. And long story short, I think the ice cream was a yogurt. I don't think they were doing ice cream. I think they were doing yogurt. And I got an altercation with the girl behind the counter, I mean, here I was making about $1,000 an hour. She was making $7.21 an hour. But I lowered myself to that $7.21 an hour, 
and I got on their level, and I said some really stupid things. And then when I walked out the door, I realized how stupid that made me look. It made it was a poor reflection of me. I was with a pastor, and uh, no one will figure out who this was because I've been with over 300 pastors in 30 years of ministry. But I was with a pastor, and we were driving the church van. It had the name of the church on the door. And we went into, it was a Denny's or a Shoney's. It was crowded. The, the, it wasn't all that great of a meal. It wasn't all that great of a service. But the pastor, when we left, he left three pennies as a tip. He left three pennies as a tip. And I cannot tell you how bad I felt as we were walking out of that restaurant. And as we walked out of that restaurant in the parking lot, we went and got into the van that Michael had the name of the church on the side of the van. And I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed that that pastor responded that way because what he did made himself really look bad. Do I have a friend in the building? Here, James 3 and 9 says, Be quiet when you are feeling critical. Be quiet when you're feeling critical. When your words want to tear down and hurt and demean, the Bible says don't speak. Here's one in Proverbs 18 and 13. Be quiet when you don't have all the facts, when you don't have all the facts. You ever been there to a place where you just ran your mouth, you really didn't know what was going on? There's another one in Proverbs that says, be, be, be quiet when you haven't verified the facts. Look at somebody and say, that is good teaching. Here's one that says, I've actually got 30, but I only want to share about two more. Or maybe three more. Oh, Lord, I still forgot. Be quiet, Proverbs 17 and 7, or Proverbs 4 and 24. Be silent when you're tempted to tell an outright lie. You ever been there? Yet, a, a few days ago, there was something that I was wanting to get out of. I probably should have just told the person, I don't want to do it. But I told the person, and it was the truth, I had to go to the hospital. But I didn't have to go to the hospital right then. That I could have followed up and, and done what was requested of me. But instead, I told them I had to go to the hospital. So what did I do? A few minutes later, I felt bad. I called them back and said, hey, i got time to come by before I go to the hospital. Look at somebody and say, you did the right thing. You did the right thing. Here's one that nobody will is guilty of, Proverbs 25 and 28. Be silent if you can't say it without screaming. Be silent if you can't say it without screaming. Thank you, Pastor Stark, Brother Stark. And then lastly, Proverbs 21 and 23, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps the soul from troubles, plural, troubles, not singular, troubles, plural. So, if you were in Paul's position, there's a lot of stuff that Paul could have said. There's a lot of statements that Paul could have made. But you notice that Paul didn't speak until he had direction from the Lord, and here's what he said. He said, guys, I told you when we started this journey that this was not a good idea. And when he said that, Cheryl, he immediately got their attention. He did say that, and they did remember that. And because he said that, declared it, and it came to pass, then it put more meat to what he had to say. But there stood by me this night the angel of the Lord, 
and he's telling me that we are not going to be destroyed, that we are going to be saved. So in, in, in your life, there's times when you speak. Ecclesiastes says there's times when you be silent. And hopefully today with the list of some of these things, you'll know when to open your mouth and when to shut it. I think it was Mark Twain that says, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Can we pray? We thank you that life and death is in the power of the tongue.